Welcome to AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. You might think of this penultimate week in October as the time to buy Halloween candy before the good stuff is gone, but here at the Jesuit Conference, we are celebrating the first ever Examine Week. We're taking a few days to feature the daily Examine prayer practice, a signature element of Ignatian spirituality that Jesuits have been praying since the days of St. Ignatius himself. The Daily Examine is a practical, contemplative prayer tradition that helps people find God amid their day-to-day experiences, and you don't have to be a Jesuit to try it. My guest is Father Jim Martin, the widely published Jesuit priest, social media evangelizer, and the host of a Daily Examine podcast produced by America Media. He's been a Jesuit for 30 years, which is almost 11,000 Daily Examines, so it's safe to say he's an expert on the topic. We also talked about Father Jim's recent visit to Rome, where he had a private audience with Pope Francis to discuss Father Jim's ministry of welcome to LGBT people. Be sure to check out hashtag examineweek on social media for more great resources to help you incorporate the daily examine into your own life. And thanks for joining us. Well, Father Jim Martin, thanks so much for joining us on AMDG. Uh, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. Uh, good to be with you. So I'm, we've invited you on today to talk a little bit about the Daily Examine, that classic Ignatian spirituality uh, practice. We're going to get to that a little bit later on, but first, you're just back in the U.S. after uh, a good chunk of time in Rome, uh, in which you were participating in a whole lot of exciting things. I just wanted to hear a little bit of a recap from that trip, and if you have any uh, reflections from your time, you can tell us some of the the stories. Uh, what were some of the big highlights for you uh, on that during that trip? Well, the big highlight was uh, seeing Pope Francis for half an hour uh, in an audience in the Apostolic Palace, where we talked about. Uh, ministry to LGBT Catholics, which I've been doing for the last uh, two years or so. And it was, I have to say, one of the highlights of my life. Um, it was pretty unexpected. And uh, he, they also publicized it uh, to sort of show or demonstrate the Pope's support of this kind of ministry. So I just felt really uh, encouraged and consoled and inspired. And he could not have been uh, warmer. It was also great meeting uh, you know, a fellow Jesuit. So we had a lot to connect on, a lot of common ground. So I'd love to talk a little bit about even how that works when the Pope wants to you know, sit down and talk with you. Uh, you described that a little bit on your social media pages, kind of how that uh, went down. Uh, so could you take us in kind of a little bit behind the scenes? Like how did that invitation, how was that expressed and how did that all happen? Yeah, I'm happy to because it is pretty mysterious and I always wondered how that happened as well. So basically, uh, I'm, on, I'm a consultor for the Vatican's Dicastery for Communication, which is the overall uh, body that um, sort of oversees all the Vatican's external communications. So, um, you know, anything on social media, the Holy See Press Office, uh, La Servitore Romano, which is the daily Vatican newspaper, uh, you know, all of the uh, press conferences, etc. So I was going over to Rome for that meeting, uh, which was three days from September 23rd to September 25th. And then I thought I'd spend an extra day or two maybe on the opposite side just for jet lag and seeing friends and people. But because I've been doing this ministry with LGBT people, I thought it might be a good idea to invest another week just to build bridges and make connections and see people because it's just, you know, as you know, it's helpful to just establish connections and get to know people in Rome and just in general in the church uh, for this kind of ministry. 
So anyway, uh, I was in touch with two friends of mine who are very good friends with the Pope, not Jesuits and not really in the Vatican uh, Curia. Uh, and they said, w you're going over there for two weeks. Would you like to meet the Pope? And I said, sure. <laughs> like, who wouldn't? And they both wrote back and said that the Pope had contacted them and said that, you know, that he would like to meet me. And I thought, well, all right, now how's this going to happen? And one of the people I turned to for advice was our Vatican correspondent from America Media, Jerry O'Connell. And he said, well, when you're at the audience for the, di the dicastery, uh, which is on the first day, just introduce yourself. And I thought this is never going to happen. I mean, you know, <laughs> he's meeting a couple hundred people. So I went up and I thought, well, all right. And I speak a little Spanish. And I said, me amo James Martin. And he said, oh, in Spanish, he said, I want an audience with you. Hmm. And I said, yo tambien. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And we talked a little bit. And then I said, when? And he motioned to uh, Archbishop Ganswine, who's the head of the papal household. And I, Archbishop Ganswine saw that we were taking a little bit more time. And he said, uh, what was that all about? And I said, he wants an audience with me. And then his secretary took my number. And I, again, thought this is never going to happen, right? Sure. I mean, you know, he literally took my cell phone number down on a piece of paper. <laughs> but sure enough, in a day uh, at the Jesuit Curia, the headquarters where I was staying, an official invitation came and said Monday, September 20, 30th at 11 a.m., and funny enough, I went back to the dicastery meeting and I said, well, now what? Who do I respond to? And someone said, I thought this was very funny. It's not RSVP. <laughs> <laughs> You'd, you just go. Sure. Uh, so it, that's how it was set up. And, uh, you know, as I said, it was publicized, which was great, which means it was put on his official daily schedule. They had a photographer there. So there was a real sense that not only from his demeanor and his warmth, which was really overwhelming, just how generous he was and how warm he was, but uh, also publicly that that he wanted to send a message to people, which I, I was very grateful for. Sure. And understanding that, you know, the content of the, the conversation was, was confidential, just wondering what your kind of takeaways from spending that time, like what about him struck you? Well, I can say that we talked, I mean, he said that he would rather me not talk about the details for obvious reasons. I mean, he wanted to have a free and open conversation. He didn't want to sure. have it broadcast to the media. But it was about LGBT Catholics and, and the struggles and challenges they face. And I told him some stories uh, and, you know, he shared some things with me, but it was very encouraging. And I think the biggest surprise for me was how relaxed I felt. I really, <laughs> I think if you had asked me five years ago how I would feel, I would have said that I would have felt very nervous, particularly on this topic mm -hmm. two years ago. But a few things enabled me to feel more relaxed. First, I knew from so many Jesuits and so many people who know him uh, how kind he is and how just what a compassionate person he is, right? So it's not as if I'm going in to be called on the carpet by this ogre. And I, you know, I knew he was a nice guy, basically. Second, I knew that um, you know he was supportive of this ministry because he asked for the audience, mm -hmm. and he had publicized it. So I, I knew that I wasn't being you know called in for some scolding. Uh, and third, he puts you at your ease. He's he's just he's a relaxed guy, and come in and you know he was sitting. I don't know if you saw the picture that was uh, sent around. He's sitting, not even behind his desk, but kind of next to his desk with me, and you're you know two feet away from him, and he just you know. Uh, 
I, I, I'm struggling not to say what he said, but you know, the conversation was very free and I just felt really, uh, heard. And I, I think I was especially happy to be able to advocate for people. Right. So, uh, I really brought some stories in there. And finally, an, a, a final reason of, of why I felt relaxed was I wasn't looking to get anything from him. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like I wasn't, I wasn't there to convince him of something or to get, you know, a blurb for a book or, uh, you know, argue some point. I was just there to share stories and talk with him. So I wasn't nervous in that sense. I wasn't there to convince him or persuade him or win the day with some argument. I was just there to share stories and my experience and my prayer with him, which I think made it a much more relaxing conversation. Frankly, it was closer to spiritual direction than anything else. Hmm. As I know, you know, no secret that in this work you have done, there have been a lot of people who might not be so warm or receptive uh, to to what you're doing, and you feel really? that on social really? media in real life. I, yeah, right. As I said, not a secret. Um, and so you mentioned it being a consoling experience. So uh, just yeah, what would that what did that mean for you spiritually? Describing it sort of as a spiritual direction, feeling kind of heartened or encouraged. Uh, in well, your knowing ministry? that knowing that the Pope is sending out a message to people that he approves of this kind of ministry gives you a great deal of lightness. Now, I know there are a lot of uh, Jesuits and Jesuit uh, colleagues and fans listening to this. Great podcast, by the way. Um, your, your series is terrific. Oh, thank you. Um, and I think it's important for them to know that, you know, all this ministry and the writing of the, the Building a Bridge book and the ministry has the approval of the Society of Jesus. So my provincial approved the book. Uh, I know that Father General supports it. And this was just another confirmation that I can continue with my ministry. So it, it's, I don't want to say it was a relief because I also knew that privately that he had been supportive, but it's a great vote of confidence and it, it makes it even uh, easier to deal with some of the pushback because I know that the Pope, you know, the Pope was encouraging. I, I'm trying to be careful not, <laughs> to say, sure. not to say what he said, but I would say publicly you can tell that he was encouraging. Right. Sure. I mean, it was pretty obvious from that. From what are some of the so, some of those stories that you're sharing or things that you're seeing kind of in your continuing ministry, things you're hearing? What, what is the current state of uh, ministry with uh, LGBT persons uh, in, the, in the church in the States today? Well, very mixed in the States. Uh, you have some places if you're in a uh, an archdiocese, a large archdiocese or diocese, uh, or if you're in a parish where the pastor or the pastoral team are open to it, uh, you're in luck because there are a lot of great places in, uh, boy, New York, Boston, Atlanta, Los Angeles, Chicago. I'm just picking places that I've been and I've met some of these people. You know, they're great ministries. There's the, uh, gosh, there's the Aglow Ministry, Archdiocesan Gay and Lesbian Outreach in Chicago. There's uh, there's out at St. Paul's in um, New York City. There's St. Cecilia's Parish in, uh, in Boston. There's Fortunate Families in Atlanta. There's tons of stuff in Los Angeles and San Francisco. So, you know, you're lucky. If, you know, there are outreach programs, you can feel very welcome. But if you're not in a place where people are open, if you're in a diocese that's closed-minded or you even have a pastor who's homophobic and that happens from time to time, you're out of luck. And one of the things I, I lament is how much your relationship to the church as an LGBT person depends on where you happen to live. Now, that that is the case with straight people as well, but it's not so severe. 
you know, I mean, if you're a straight person or a straight married person who goes into mass at some new parish where you've moved, uh, you know, people aren't going to be glaring at you. But if you're LGBT or you come in with a, a partner or, you know, holding hands with someone of the same sex, depending on where you are, you're either going to get welcomed or unwelcome. And that, to me, that's really sad. But in, in, in any event, to answer your question, it's very mixed. But I think it's getting better because as more and more people come out, more and more people, uh, you know, know LGBT people and know them and their families and they bring their hopes and desires into their parishes too. Well, I, again, thank you for your, for your ministry and those conversations. And again, just uh, so inspired to hear about uh, that, those conversations with, with the Holy Father and to again, think about again, a place, how can we be people who really do um, put our money where our mouth is when we say we value the life and dignity of every human person. So thank you for that, that what I see as a very pro-life, uh, pro-person work. Um, You're welcome. So, um, so I uh, want to get into maybe some of the, the spiritual practices that help you in that work, that help keep you going. Specifically, I want to talk about the daily examine. I know that's another uh, area of ministry that's very important to you. You've been uh, leading a, a daily podcast uh, on the daily examine for, for some time now. Uh, and we at the here uh, at the Jesuit Conference are going to be doing a whole series on the examine, uh, different resources, and, and talking about that specifically. And so I'm curious just for you, I want to talk a little bit about your own experience with the exam. But maybe we could start for folks maybe who aren't as familiar with it. Where does the, the daily exam come from? Like, what is its background? Well, I would say St. Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, popularized it. it. He certainly didn't invent the idea of going through your day. There were different spiritual masters, spiritual fathers and mothers who recommended that. But in the spiritual exercises, Ignatius introduces the idea of going through your day uh, and it's called, he calls it the examination of conscience. Uh, some people struggle with that term there. George Ashenbrenner wrote a book called the examination of consciousness, but most people just call it the examine E X A M E N, uh, or examen as they might say in, in Spanish. So Ignatius popularized it. And it's really been since then very much associated with, uh, the Jesuits and with, uh, you know, what they call Ignatian spirituality. So I read somewhere, I don't know if this actually happened or if it's apocryphal, but that Ignatius told his companions, you know, always make sure they pray the examine, even if you're too busy, maybe in a day to do something else. Like, why do you think it was, it was so important in the developing system of Ignatian spirituality? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, there, are, there are a number of articles that say, uh, so Bart Geiger, who uh, works for the Institute of Jesuit Sources, um, has put out an, a studies article um, talking about things that Ignatius probably never said. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something I've repeated as well, that even if you miss all of your prayers, don't miss the examine. Uh, he may not have said that directly, but but the intention is is clear that he wanted Jesuits to uh, to do the examine. And why is that? Because it's a way of, to you know, coin a phrase, find God in all things. And the idea is that the examine, which is essentially a review of the day in prayer, enables you to see where God was. Um, most of us are so busy and we go from thing to thing and day to day and week to week that we don't take time as we should to really reflect on where God has been. And that's, it's just essential. It, and I think seeing where God has been makes it easier to see where God is and where God will be. So looking backwards over the day uh, helps you to see the activity of God and therefore it helps you to notice it in the next day. So it really is essential. And I, you know, I've been a spiritual director for about 20 years now and all of my directees, <laughs> they all get asked, 
you know, every month, you know, how's your exam going? And I think that's, it's, it's one of the key ways that the Jesuits encourage people to pray. I know I've, I've been through experience of it with, with high school students on the, the course of a, a, a mission trip over the, the course of a week and do it every night. And it was always struck by, by the end of the week, in the middle of the day, maybe they have a, a powerful conversation with someone at, at a soup kitchen. They would say to someone, oh, that was my, my gift of the day. Or here's like a, a place where I was recognizing God that you saw that when you got into that habit, then you were noticing in the moment. Um, have you found that in your, your own life when your examined life is strong, that you're paying better attention? Always. That is exactly right. And, and what happens is not only do you, uh, as your students uh, demonstrated, not only are you more attentive, and I think that's a beautiful story. You know, this is my gift for the day. Uh, but you're also attentive to specific things. So, for example, if there's some person in your day uh, or some event or some place or some experience that really moved you, let's say on a Monday, on Tuesday, you'll be more attentive to that particular experience. So if I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I often tell this story. When I was in first studies, um, the time after novitiate um, and before regency for Jesuits, I was in at Loyola University, Chicago, and I was working at a homeless shelter uh, in uh, Howard Area Community Center for people from Chicago on Howard Street, I think, or Howard Avenue. And uh, there was a homeless woman there named Wanda and she always would come in and we would go over, um, you know, her resume. This was to help her find a job. And, uh, you know, I, you know, she was sort of, um, unkempt and overweight and, you know, obviously very poor as a homeless person, clearly. And every week we would go over her resume and try to find her a job. This is pre Craigslist. This is looking in the want ads in the newspaper. And every week, you know, we were able to unable to find her a job. So my spiritual director at the time, Dick Anderson, um, uh, who just passed away, asked me, you know, how my examine was going. And was I bringing up my my ministry, my exterior ministry, ministry outside of the house? I was in studies at the time. And I said, no, it's kind of boring. And he said, why? And I said, well, it's, it's just boring. There's not much going on. I just help these people with their resumes and with jobs and. He said, maybe it's boring because you're not bringing it up in the exam. Hmm. And I said, no, it's boring because it's boring. It's just, it's just <laughs> not exciting. The year before I'd worked with street gangs and the housing projects in Chicago. And that seemed really, you know, glamorous and to coin a phrase, you know, it was more interesting, exciting. So he said, well, I would just ask you the next time you're at the Howard area community center to, you know, remember it in your prayer at night. So the next week I went and um, I saw Wanda. And uh, that night I was praying and I thought, well, all right, I have to sort of intentionally focus on that. And I called her face to mine and I started crying. I was so moved. And I just realized, you know, what a hard life she had, right? I mean, she's overweight. She's poor, obviously. She's homeless. She's struggling to get, struggling to get a job. And I just, I was filled with this sense of compassion for her. So the next day I went to Dick Anderson and I said, I need emergency spiritual direction. <laughs> you know, I was crying during my exam. And I explained that to him and he said, of course, that makes perfect sense. You're feeling God's compassion for her, right? I mean, how else would God work through you to, you know, increase your compassion for this woman? So the next week when I saw her, it was like meeting this occasion of grace, this holy person. I don't mean to make her sound instrumental, but 
you know, as if she's just this tool for me to experience grace. But it was like meeting a saint, you know, it was meeting someone who was really in, in whom God was present and whom God was asking me to look at and care for and really accompany. So in other words, you know, that examine wasn't just about, uh, you know, helping me to look for God in my work. It was maybe even more specific. It was about Wanda and it was about paying attention to her. And every time I saw her, I was really reminded of that. And, you know, for your students, you know, if they were to continue to go back to the homeless shelter, right, they would continue to be aware of that. And so I think really the saint is the person who is alert to God's presence at every moment of the day, really in a, in a really intentional way. And I think that's what the examine helps to move you to. So you've, you've been in the Jesuits. How long now, Father Jim? 30 years. 30 years. So that's a lot of examines. If you look back over. <laughs> every night, every night, by the way, except on retreats. I've never okay. missed one. So I imagine there are times that the, the examine comes easy, that you have, again, a lot that you want to yeah. bring to that, to prayer, and other times when you're like, do I really have to do it now? Um, <laughs> yes. Maybe not, but have, has your relationship to the examine, has it, does it change throughout the year or throughout the years or over the course of weeks? I would say, to your point, it changes uh, depending on the day. So I always do it. But for example, the, the day that I met the Pope, I had a very long examine, <laughs> and I really turned over almost every single word and activity. And I really wanted to remember it. And then when I came back from Rome, I just did this a few days ago. I did something I do sometimes. I did sort of a, an examine of the past few days, right? So the examine, as we know, is, is really, you know, it, it's essentially a review of the day and you sort of call to mind what happened in the day. There's several steps. You know, you start with gratitude, things you're grateful for, you review the day, you look at places where you might have sinned or failed express sorrow. You ask God for the grace for the next day, right? So there's a, you know, it's several steps, but you can do that, you know, for a couple of days. And that's what I did when I came back to Rome. I really, I looked, I literally, I prayed with my date book. I looked over my, I have an old fashioned date book hmm. and just called those things to mind. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's not as, you know, the, your day doesn't seem as exciting or interesting. I sometimes think that those are the days that you need to do the examine in particular because you might overlook something simple, uh, an encounter with a friend or uh, just some blessing that God has given you that's very, that seems very small. And so to be able to be attentive to even, you know, uh, in the church, we talk about ordinary time. To be attentive to ordinary time is just as important to be attentive to the extraordinary times. I, I always say to people, you know, that the, most of the times that the apostles were with Jesus, right, or the disciples, He's not healing people. He's, you know, they're just walking from place to place. Or, I mean, think about all the healing miracles. They take, I don't know how long, you know, a couple minutes, right? And then the back and forth and the wonder and all that. But, you know, what's he doing for, for the rest of the day? But it's still holy. You're still with Jesus, right? You're still with the Son of God. So to look at your ordinary time as, as you know, ways of, of, of encountering God. Have you either yourself or heard stories of times in which there have been those, either those ordinary days where in the, in the practice of the examine, there's a gift in this kind of seemingly insignificant moment that kind of comes to the surface? Oh, all the time. Uh, so with a lot of my directees, uh, if, you, if you encourage them really to, to look at their daily life, um, a lot of times it's with, it's with uh, interactions with friends or family. That's usually the most common surprise. So if you're struggling and someone helps you or just someone gives you a kind word, uh, 
you know, or someone say you're sick in the hospital and someone drops by, it can be really powerful, even though, you know, a hospital visit isn't, you know, it's not a miraculous thing, uh, but it, it really can help people feel God's love. So, you know, but if, if you don't do the examiner, if you don't take time consciously to look at these things, then you'll miss them because you're onto the next thing. And we, we tend to be forgetful about those things too. I know sometimes when people talk about the examiner, it just gets reduced to the going through the day. And that's not the whole process, right? That there are a number of steps. And I want to, I guess, ask you specifically about that first step of gratitude, that kind of intentional practice of gratitude, even on those days where it might not seem to have a whole lot of things to be grateful for. And I think about my own experience. I think I was a college freshman away from home for the first time and feeling kind of kind of homesick and sorry for myself. And I just had this one kind of evening of prayer in front of this like statue of Mary at my campus and just started deciding to just list all the things I was grateful for and all the people I was grateful for. And like that, I, just, I mark as like, even though that was 15 years ago, mark as this kind of turning point in which I kind of reframed my own, like, oh, how woe is me. I'm so far from all my, what I knew to, wow, what the kind of this blessing I have. And, you know, that's a, that's a kind of simple example. But I felt like sometimes that intentional gratitude practice um, can help us reshape how we're seeing things. That's a great example, actually. I don't think that's... Uh that's a small example at all. I mean, to reset your life, I think is a big deal. And, uh, you know, the, the actual, the first step is I always remind people is putting yourself in the presence of God. And the reason we do that is so we remind ourselves, uh, you know, not only that God is with us, but so it doesn't become just a monologue. Right. But, but yeah, the, the gratitude is the, is really the beginning of the prayer, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because we have a tendency to be problem solvers. So if I say to you, what happened today? Oh my gosh, I had to do this, I had to do that, and tomorrow I have to do this. And you know, we tend to overlook the gratitude. And I think most of us as human beings are sort of hardwired to look for problems. Now, why is that? Well, I mean, when we were cavemen and cave women, right? We we're supposed to be on the lookout for some, you know, saber-toothed tiger or something. And that kind of, you know, sort of works against the uh, a sort of desire to be contemplative, right? So in other words, you're you're lo- you're on the lookout for problems and that means it's all the more important to focus on the gratitude so you don't jump right into problems, right? Um, also, I think it's a way of as you discovered of jump starting your spiritual life. When you are aware of all the blessings that you have in your life, it puts things into perspective in a way that I think few things do. So I, I sometimes say to people who are going through difficult times that you know, oftentimes an examine just made of gratitude is fine. I mean, I'll, I'll recommend that frequently. You know, I'm really depressed. I'm, you know, as you said, if you're a college student, I'm super lonely. I'm all by myself. Nothing's going right. Every time I hear, uh, I, I always say that the evil spirit works in universals. You know, nothing's going right. No one likes me. Everyone hates me. None of my classes are good. Everything's wrong about this dorm, right? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, to counteract that, uh, gratitude is the, is a good way to start as you discovered. It just, it just resets things and it, it rejiggers things and it reorients you. But on a day-to-day basis, it's just good to begin with that because we, we would tend to overlook some of those things. Sure. Another one of the steps in addition to the review of the day though, is as, as you mentioned, kind of identifying those, those places of failure or sins. How, how do you do that in your own spiritual life without turning it into kind of beating yourself up? Well, you know, after the gratitude comes the review of the day, which, as you said, is the part that most people know, you know, from morning till noon tonight. And, you know, at different parts in the day, you know, 
unless you're Jesus or the Blessed Mother, uh, you will have sinned or you will have <laughs> done something that's, you know, whatever. It's it's a failing or it's may not be a gross sin, but something you're not happy with. Maybe it's a little bit of selfishness. And I think it's just healthy to call those things to mind. And it, it has nothing to do with, you know, kind of beating yourself up or denigrating yourself or being ashamed of who you are. It's just a, a sort of kind of a human look at, at who you are, um, a, a real life look at your humanity. Someone said to me once on a retreat that shame is I'm a bad person. Guilt is I did a bad thing. So a little guilt's not so bad. And if you need to, you might um, talk to the person that you sinned against afterwards, maybe the next day. But it, it's really essential because otherwise you, you know, you're not perfect. So you might as well sort of call these mind, call these to mind and ask God for forgiveness. I remember a time with my now wife, but when we were dating long distance and would have all kinds of miscommunications throughout the day, that like one Lent, I think we decided, you know what, every night we're going to say this simple forgiveness prayer, even if there's like not something specific we thought of that we've <laughs> done to the other, but let's just apologize to each other, ask for forgiveness, ask God to help us. And we did that for 40 days straight and it was very helpful in our relationship. <laughs> Good idea. And you know, there's always something we can apologize for, right? Sure. I think Catholics are certainly uh, good at that, finding those things uh, uh, to mention. But yeah, is, I, I was reading a, reading a column that from the Times the other day that said, like, sometimes women feel like they get criticized for over apologizing, and, you know, and but maybe men should apologize more. It's not that women are over apologizing that we could all, you know, err on the side of apologizing more than we need to. It's not a terrible thing. Well, that's a good um, point. And I've read a lot of um, uh, literature on Ignatian spirituality and women. And that there can be without stereotyping, because I think it's bad to say all women are like this, all men are like that. Let's just say in the culture there can there can be a tendency for women to be encouraged to think that they need to be all about apologizing. And, you know, you don't want to get in a situation where you you feel like a doormat. Right. Um, but as you say, it's everyone needs to apologize. And you're right. Maybe a better way to look at it is that men need to apologize more. So one way you've been uh, connecting with the examine and inviting people into that prayer practice has been uh, leading a daily examine podcast uh, on America media for the past year or so. So could you tell folks a little bit about that and where they can find it? Sure. It's on americamedia.org, uh, our website for America and just Google or just put in examine. It'll come right up. Uh, we've been doing it for, I think a little over a year. I'm a little vague on the details. I think it started uh, maybe during Advent a year or two ago. And it's a lot of fun. It's 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 free to download or subscribe to. I know we have tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of people who download it. And it's I think for a lot of people, it's a guided meditation with a little bit of uh, soft music to sort of block out some of the distractions. For a lot of people, it's easier to be guided through the exam than to do it on their own. So I know a lot of people really uh, appreciate the fact that um, you know it's my voice guiding them through the exam. So it's really popular. I'm really happy to do it. We. We had been wanting to do it here in America for a long time because it's it's certainly so uh, identified with Jesuit spirituality that, you know, in a sense, people expected it from us. Um, and then every week we have a, a new reflection, uh, kind of new reflection based on the liturgical year. Uh, and it's updated every day. So every every week is a new reflection, but the podcast is updated every day. So how has putting that together affected how you think about the examine? Well, I have to be a little more attentive to people uh, who might be downloading the exam and who are not familiar with Ignatian spirituality. So, for example, I mean, I'm very comfortable with the exam, obviously, and I talk about it 
uh, with my directees and they're comfortable with it because, you know, they know Ignatian spirituality. They're talking to a Jesuit. They've probably been on a retreat or two. But when you send it into the big wide world, uh, you know, you're not necessarily and probably not often talking to people that know much about Jesuit spirituality. So when you introduce it and you, you talk about the meditations, you have to be really clear what you're saying. You can't assume that they know, okay, now it's on to the gratitude part. No, you have to really take them through it, you know, almost hold their hand and take them through it. But it forces you to be a little more clear and maybe more intentional uh, and maybe in, in a more inviting way than you would if you were talking to a group that, that already knew it. It seems that there's a real hunger for meditative experiences really kind of across the board, both, you know, within Catholic context, but also like how wildly popular yoga is and, uh, and other practices that there seems to be this deep hunger for some of that time, that intentional downtime of, of quiet reflection, uh, that I think to be is like a value in the culture. That's something that we, we should can work with and can show how our, some of the, our tools are usable toward that end. Absolutely. I think there's a natural desire for people in, within people for God. And part of that desire manifests itself as a desire for prayer and contemplation, because this is one way that you encounter God. I mean, deep speaks to deep, as the psalm says. And so in prayer, we, we are able to encounter God. And in the exam, we're able to encounter God. Now, some people may not be uh, aware or encouraged you know, in, in, in following that up. They might have that desire, but they might not know how to do it, right? So, and I think one of the great gifts of Ignatian spirituality is not just the exam in itself, but this, this ability to connect with people where they are, right? So you might meet someone who's very secular, but who says, boy, I'm really, I don't know, there's something in me that just wants to know more about God. And you say, well, that's obviously an invitation. What can we do about that? One of the first things is the examine, right? I, uh, here's a, I don't think this is telling tales out of school. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, I directed uh, Andrew Garfield, uh, the actor in, uh, he was playing a, a role as a Jesuit in Martin Scorsese's film, Silence. And this is not, this is not breaking confidence. And at the beginning, he came to me wanting to know about Jesuit spirituality. He eventually, you know, was led through the exercises, the spiritual exercises. But the very first thing I gave him was the examine. Hmm. I mean that, okay, you want to learn about Jesuit spirituality? <laughs> Here, do this prayer for a week, every night. And, you know, that led to him entering into the exercises, you know, with a couple steps in between. So it's, yeah, it's something that's really satisfying for people. I've given it to secular groups as well as uh, Catholic groups and Christian groups. And it really is, I think, an easy prayer and the prayer that anyone can do. I know sometimes I, you know, grab time, you know, in a quiet time in like a good relaxed place. Other times, you know, it's trying to use like one of these prayer apps in my headphones while I'm on the, the metro uh, here in Washington and like kind of in the midst of the, the craziness, like trying to find quiet within that space, which sometimes reminds me of the kind of the Jesuit way kind of contemplation in action, right? That we're not, uh, the kind of Ignatian way is not to be contemplative all the time or to be running around active all the time, but to kind of have that like almost mystical marriage of those things, trying to again find God in all things, like uh, which I think is an inspiring kind of practical element of Ignatian spirituality is that we, we don't have to necessarily abandon everything we're doing, but we can kind of mine that experience to find God in the midst of it. It is. And it's, that's, that's the way most people live. Most people live rather busy lives. They live active lives. I always like to point out to people though, that even in a monastery, right? Where they're living, living the contemplative life. They're pretty busy. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so they have chores and community jobs and prayer they go to. So even they, I think, you know, have to 
be the contemplative in action to use Ignatius's phrase. All right. Well, thank you so much, Father Jim. Maybe the last thing we can ask you to do is uh, one final kind of pitch. Imagine you meet someone who is maybe skeptical of trying this and you're riding on an elevator with them. Do you have an elevator pitch for the examine? What, what about it do you find to be the most compelling? Sure. I'd say if you have a desire to uh, encounter God and otherwise, why would you be asking me? That's usually what I say to people. There's a desire within you to encounter God. One easy way is to see where God already is where God is already active in your day. And a prayer called the examination of conscience can help you notice that very quickly. And uh, here, let me teach it to you really quickly and I'll write it down for you. And if you need to go on our uh, website and I'll lead it through, I'll lead you through it. That's hmm. my elevator. That's uh, two floors. Sure. Right. Excellent. Well, again, Father Jim Martin, thank you so much for taking some time to share uh, your reflections on the examine with us. And again, it's the, the daily examine podcast. You can find wherever you get podcasts. Uh, and uh, again, thank you. And thank you for your, your ministry and uh, God bless. My pleasure. Thank you. And AMDG. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Doris Sump, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org. We're on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you or someone you know is interested in discerning a vocation to join the Jesuits, visit us at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>